Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is John Hoffmeyer. Uh, he's the former chair and still on the board of the Personal Finance Employee Education Foundation, known as PFEEF. He is also a professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and currently he is at Oxford uh, at the Business School at the University of Oxford in England. Welcome very much to the show, John. Thank you, Jordan. I just gave a little bit of brief, but just give a little further of your, your, your background and how you ended up here at Oxford. Well, I'm a, a business person um, by most definitions. Um, I was a Bain consultant many years ago after I finished my uh, PhD at Stanford. Uh, I then had the opportunity to start an investment bank and was uh, able to sell that and uh, then worked in the venture capital industry for a while. But I've always been interested in personal financial literacy and what we learned uh, through the employee ownership transactions that our investment bank did uh, was that we could help people uh, get more money into their bank accounts, but we couldn't help them keep it without financial literacy. And just tell us a little bit about PFEEF, which is again the Personal Finance Employee Education Foundation. When was it started and what is its mission? Well, Tom Garman um, started it more than a decade ago. He was a professor at Virginia Tech and probably the, the best known person during that time in the uh, side of the personal uh, financial wellness uh, movement who was focused on employers. That was always Tom's interest. And so to, to build uh, the, the Personal Finance Employee Education Foundation was just a natural for Tom. And, and he ran it for a number of years and is retired now, but still active more broadly. So let's just kind of take a broad look. We're going to get into the specifics, but a broad look at personal finance education in the workplace today. Is there a lot of it going on? There's more or there's not enough? Just kind of give us a broad view of, of what's happening in that field. Uh, there's more and not enough. And if you were to look at the growth, it's um, been in a few different areas. Um, so um, you've seen a, a growth in 401k companies showing interest in financial literacy. Uh, there are a number of large players that are in the market, private companies that just deliver um, financial wellness uh, type of training and support. And, and that actually breaks down into a number of different areas. Uh, there are some, some great online companies. I could name some of those if you were interested. Sure. Uh, there, um, so the Financial Fitness Group, Financial Finesse are two of the biggest players in, in that market. Um, financial Finesse also um, crosses over into a number of different types of training and support. Uh, there are others who, who work on coaching and much more of a one-on-one -on -one, uh, basis. And then there are some groups that also have lawyers who are part of their staffs and play a role in, in helping employees uh, work out uh, financial difficulties, sometimes by going through bankruptcy, sometimes uh, through other forms of workouts. So it's a pretty broad uh, range of services being provided. Now, do employers see a, a rate of return? I mean, when they put in these programs, what is it for the employer? Well, the, the big advantage uh, is if they can help employees that the employers want to keep um, staying in their jobs, 
they don't have to, A, hire anyone else, and that can be expensive, and I can tell you more about the costs uh, that, that we've discovered there. But you, you also then uh, don't have to train someone else um, who might come in and, and take that spot. So uh, that's where the, the big savings are, are found. And I think you'll, you'll find it interesting that uh, one campaign that, that we ran uh, ended up having, in, in this number no one believes, so I always hesitate to, to use it, a 7,000% uh, return on investment. Now, it wasn't a large investment. Um, we haven't replicated that in, in many places, but the savings can just be huge uh, for companies that, that run these types of campaigns effectively. So it's turnover is the main thing in training, but also isn't there something, maybe it's more intangible, about the employees being able to concentrate on their jobs if they're not worried about their financial situation? Yes, and, and that is more difficult to quantify, um, but I believe that in many cases, especially, and you know, let's put the context around our conversation, we've got the COVID-19 uh, situation looking us in the face, and, and with that, there's an incredible amount of stress. Um, I can just give you one statistic from a study. Um, if someone has their own office and uh, they are looking at going into bankruptcy or they are already in, in bankruptcy proceedings, they spend 40% of their time at work working on their own personal financial situation. Well, you can imagine that that person's not being very productive for their employer. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the current situation. So. The whole world has been upended in the last month or so. Uh, vast millions and millions of people are working from home that never did so before. What is this going to do to the, the workplace going forward and the ability to do financial education? Well, I think what we're going to find is that more and more of it is, is done online. And there's been a, a lot of success found in that field. Uh, there's been enough years now of experience that uh, that many people uh, have really figured out what some of the secrets in the um, the online uh, financial wellness world are, uh, and and I actually uh, hold out some real hope for that. Um, I think there needs to be uh, support that goes beyond simply making available online platforms. Um, for example, if employers are really interested in in working on this um, during this time of great stress. I would tell them that they ought to take the classes as well, right along with the other employees. And if, uh, if there's any way to build a contest into the whole program and, and really uh, make it seem like a political campaign where uh, everybody's participating, everybody's being rewarded um, if they do well. Um, frankly, anytime someone is paid to participate in these either online or other types of uh, financial wellness campaigns, it's much more likely that they will participate. But with the right type of support, online education around financial literacy and financial wellness can work very well. So also, since a lot of people are working from home and things are working relatively smoothly, in a more general sense, do you think this is going to change the nature of work? I'll just give you an example. The stock exchanges, New York Stock Exchange and others are closed, and yet trading continues fine without a floor being traded. And many other places, the same thing around the world. Are employers going to reconsider the need to have people come into the office and congregate to do things that seem to be working pretty well fine remotely? 
Well, I think it's really important that we're all as optimistic as we can be at this particular point in time. Uh, at the same time, I think it's really important that um, those of us that have certain feelings express them, especially if we can do so kindly and uh, in, in ways that don't lead to, to arguments. Uh, my personal feeling is that we're going to find more and more roadblocks to working at home. We're going to find um, more inefficiencies than uh, we thought we were going to find. And, and let's face it, there are a lot of jobs that people simply cannot do from home. And I'm not just talking uh, about manufacturing jobs. I, I think there are other types of jobs where relationships are, are just so important. I spend a lot of time working in Asia. And if you don't meet people face to face, it's it's very difficult to um, to really make the progress that, that you want to make. Um, Perhaps I'm going a little bit far afield right now, but if, if we look at where growth is going to be in, in the world economy over this next period of time, uh, Asia was and probably is still going to be the area where there's growth. And I think some companies that want to uh, get out and participate in growth markets are probably going to be uh, opening up um, sales channels to Asia. And it's going to be difficult to do that without face-to-face -face contact. So you have the situation today where many employers are barely hanging on to be able to pay their employees today or not being able to pay them. And, and I mean, last week we had 3.2 million unemployment claims, and that's probably understated because a lot of people can't get through to even file for unemployment. What, what kind of financial advice would you give to employees facing this kind of uncertain future today? Well, really, the the answer to that question is is very much like the the answer to the question of how do you create a, a financial literacy or a financial wellness program at work. Uh, so, both in answering your question and when you are opening a campaign, you, you want to segment your workers into different categories. Those that have savings are in a completely different situation than those that don't. Uh, you need to look at the age groups and and different elements of demographics those who are close to retirement, um, both need certain types of programs, whether they're employed or uh, not employed. Uh, those who, um, uh, let's assume employment for a, a moment and that we are trying to focus a financial literacy uh, program on them. Um, you'd want to look at uh, age groups where buying a first home uh, was something that somebody might still want to do. And I, I think we can project in certain markets that uh, home prices are going to go down. That probably wouldn't be a bad investment um, for some people in, in that particular demographic. Uh, for those who are of a marrying age and, and thinking about what um, that might mean to their personal finances, some training around those types of issues would be important. For those who's, uh, who have... Uh, children who are college age and thinking about going to college, if the parents have the ability to help, um, helping those parents plan um, to to help fund a, a college or a university education would be important. Um, but but I think at the very base of your question is, what are we going to do with those millions of people that are, are not going to have work? And um, that's partly a, a governmental issue, but I think it's also an employer issue. And if, if you don't mind my just going on for another minute, perhaps you'll want sure, to ask me a follow-up question so I don't no, no, that's go right. on too I mean, long how here. Are companies going to maintain their employees if they can't pay them. 
some of these employees may disappear and they couldn't put the team back together again that they had before. Well, I think that's a real issue. And in fact, that's exactly where I was going to go. I think one of the opportunities that employers have right now um, has to do with thinking about having, um, let's assume that these are companies that have not let go um, a huge number of employees already. They're still trying to decide what to do. There are many discussions that are happening in great companies right now about having employees go to a four-day week where everybody is, is working 32 hours rather than 40. Uh, that opportunity enables not only for people to keep their skills, but to keep a job. And then to your point, when the time comes that the economy grows again, that company already has the people that it wants and it has an easier time expanding. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is John Hoffmeyer. He's a member of the board and former chairman of the board of the Personal Finance Employee Education Foundation, which is PFEEF. And you can find out more at them at pfeef.org. We'll be back after this. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Your leadership journey must be a continuous process of education and improvement. If you think you've learned all you need to know, think again. Find out the latest from contemporary authors on topics from character to values and everything in between. Discover insights into servant leader fundamentals along with your host, Tom Crea. Tune into Your Evolving Leadership Journey, Mondays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. 
My guest this hour is John Hoffmeyer. He's the former chairman of the board, still on the board of the Personal Finance Employee Education Foundation, uh, which you can find out more at pfeef.org. He's also a professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and currently is a professor at the University of Oxford uh, in England. Welcome back to the show, John. Thank you, Jordan. Let's get into some of the specific areas that employees need more uh, financial education. Probably the biggest one is retirement planning. So what is the kind of advice you can give to employees that they're doing wrong and they're doing right as far as asset allocation so that they're going to, when they retire, have a decent amount to live on? Well, that's probably the most difficult question to answer in the world right now. And if I knew the answer, I would know exactly what to do with my own decisions about uh, having a higher percentage of our resources in, in stocks. Um, I, I hesitate to, to give advice on, on these type of topics, but if, if we were calling this um, more just a conversation between two people and it happened to be the case that some people were listening in, then I don't feel so uncomfortable. Okay, that's fine. Okay. Uh, and, and I don't have a license um, to, okay. <laughs> to talk about these types of issues. Um, but I, I think that for those people who are already uh, in the market and uh, who are looking at uh, retiring sometime out into the future, certainly 20 years, I would simply stay in the market. And uh, if, if they have enough resources to, to live off of right now, um, either a paycheck or lots of savings, uh, I think staying in the market is, is a very useful thing to do at this point. It, it was interesting for me to read over the last couple of days that somewhere it's only between 6 and 12% of people in the United States have sold. And so the vast majority are holding. And I think that's a, a wiser uh, strategy. For those uh, like myself who have been out of the market this, this past period of time, I think it's really difficult to, to know what to do. And so what we're uh, trying is to average into the market every two weeks, um, putting uh, around um, 5% of, uh, of what we mean to have back in the market into the market. And I, I think if, if we can get back to a, a high percentage of stock ownership, maybe with um, some gold as part of the mix, that, um, that we'll feel good about that. Um, and now, if you want to call me back in a few weeks, if the stock market shoots up really quickly before we're able to get back in, I'm going to feel fairly bad. <laughs> okay. Now, what, one thing I hear from employees is that they're being offered too many choices. They have 50 funds or 100 funds, just some huge number sliced into all these small pieces. And they get overwhelmed by having so many choices and don't know how to allocate amongst all these choices, in addition to their own company stock. In many cases, people have, they're matched in their company stock and they end up you know, getting a lot of uh, concentration in their own company stock. How would you recommend that people go through all these different choices, including their company stock, to allocate appropriately? Well, having heard you raise the, the company stock issue, uh, given that that's what I wrote my dissertation on years ago and, and practiced for over 20 years, I'd, I'd like to spend a few minutes on sure. this, if that's okay. Uh, because the, the number of different types of employee stock ownership plans uh, in the U.S. is, is fairly large. Um, for those who are in ESOPs, uh, employee stock ownership plans, using that formal definition, uh, they're going to be forced to 
diversify their holdings at the age of 55. Uh, so I don't worry about people in ESOPs. And those that are there um, should, should stay there if they can. Uh, all the research says that, uh, that those companies uh, do better. Their stock uh, rises at faster rates. Um, layoffs happen less at ESOP firms. Um, and uh, for a very large percentage of, of all ESOPs, there's an alternative retirement plan that pays just as much as most companies' retirement plans. So the ESOPs in those situations are, are gravy. And anybody who, who listens to the don't put your, uh, all your eggs in one basket, you, know, you shouldn't be at an employee-owned firm, they really need to think twice about leaving if they're part of the uh, ERISA um, retirement plan called an ESOP. Now, let, let's back up to your question, though, because you were probably referring more to one 401ks right. uh, use a, a match of employer stock. And there are plenty of examples um, going back even to Enron where that can just be a, a huge issue, especially in, in these types of times. Uh, and then there are uh, stock option plans and, and the number of flavors there is very large. So uh, these plans are not easy to read, um, but you know, every now and then it's worth even a couple of thousand dollars for someone who has that money. Uh, if for some reason they don't understand and the human resource department is not explaining everything in a way that makes sense, go out and spend that money on a professional who can really give you good advice on, on the stock from your own company. I'll, I'll stop there. Um, but I think you were getting at some broader issues as well. So take me back there and let me see if I can't help in a broader way. Well, because people, again, have all these options, employee stock being one of them, but they're overwhelmed. And my experience of human resource departments, employee benefit departments, they do not want to take any risk whatsoever in recommending anything. So yeah. people are, maybe they'll go to a seminar put on by the fund company that offers them the options, and that's about it. People are pretty much fending on their own to how to make these choices, which in many cases are overwhelming. There's just too many choices. How do employees handle that? Yeah, I, I think it's really important to look at research on these types of topics. I, I don't know what the right number um, in a financial services 401k type of situation might be, but I, I know at grocery stores, there's been a lot of research on how many choices to give people. I, I can't remember what the famous study was. It might have been jams or some type of condiment, um, but it, I think it was seven was the right number of choices. And if you put more choices on the shelves than that, people actually bought less. And, and so understanding the behavioral economics uh, in these type of situations is, is really important. And I agree with you. If there are too many choices, that just makes people freeze up. And uh, I, I don't think it's irresponsible for a company to actually offer fewer choices, especially if the choices um, have a, a variety of, of stocks in the portfolio, the mutual fund, and that people really understand when there's a mix of bonds and, and stocks that they can see what the mix is. And if it can be explained whether those are long-term bonds as compared to short-term bonds, I think that makes a difference also. What kind of asset allocation should people have and should they change it with changing times? I mean, the case like what's happened recently where the stock market fell sharply and the bond market rose sharply in price, they're gonna, their allocation is going to be way out of whack from what it was a month ago, with their stock allocation being 
lower and their bond allocation being higher. Should they have some kind of a system where they automatically rebalance to get back to even? Or what, what advice would you give them on asset allocation? Well, I think there's a, a short-term and a long-term answer to that. We, we are in such uncharted times. Um, so if before this crisis, we were looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 trillion of wealth in the world, and I realize that government debt is not wealth, but at some level, comparing the amounts of money that are going to go in to um, address some of these real problems that we have, you know, already we've had more than two trillion go in in the U.S. Uh, across the G20, we were looking at um, five trillion last week. It, it won't surprise me at all if if we don't get to to twenty trillion worldwide. Uh, and, and then I think there's, there can be other monies uh, that will also be put to use that probably won't be counted in the same way. And, uh, and then depending on what you think the amount of, of debt in the U.S. or worldwide was before uh, all of this started happening, you can get to some situations where over the short term, it's very difficult um, to imagine that, uh, that some people won't start saying things and, and maybe be right about how the government is printing too much money. Um, so that's the short-term problem. Do you, do you want me to address the, yes. the long-term long asset allocation? Yes. So if, if the, the short-term allocation involves perhaps more investment in gold and making sure that there are some abilities to protect oneself uh, against inflation, which is often what comes when a government prints too much money, then perhaps the long term is to pull back out of, of gold and, uh, and, and actually spend some time looking at what the price of gold has done in different types of environments. I, I've actually never owned gold in my life. I just bought it for the first time last week. Uh, and I, I think some more people are going to have a, a higher percentage of gold in their portfolios. I think once this crisis is over, that may fall back again. So you think that all the money that the Federal Reserves and the central banks are printing and all the stimulus programs from governments are potentially going to be inflationary? I mean, the argument against that is that the coronavirus and the shutdown of economic activity is contractionary and deflationary. But well, you there's, think there's no so doubt that that's really that's the, the reason I'm trying to bring the time scale to this. And so I, I think for people who are, are buying gold right now, they're probably thinking two, three, four years. Um, but anybody who, who thinks that there's going to be a lot of inflation immediately is probably thinking wrong. So what, I know it's, we're in uncharted territories, but what time in history would you help look at that gives you some guidance? I mean, is the crash of 2008 or 87, is the depression of the 30s? What gives us some guidance for what we're in now? Well, if you go back and, and look at what happened with the price of gold in that same time frame I was just mentioning, two, three, four years after the crisis, that's when uh, gold really spiked. And I, I think there was an expectation on a minority's part um, that uh, the same types of problems could have happened um, after, after that run-up of, uh, of government support. Um, so I, I think that's the, the best place to look. I think it's very difficult to go way back in history and find many trends that are in incredibly applicable to the, to the present. I guess they didn't have too much of a stock market in the days of the Black Plague, right? 
No, they didn't. <laughs> okay. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is John Hoffmeyer, former chair and still on the board of the Personal Finance Employee Education Foundation. You can find out more at pfeef.org. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is John Hoffmeyer, former chair and still on the board of the Personal Finance Employee Education Foundation, known as PFEEF at pfeef.org. They're an organization to help improve personal financial literacy in the workplace. Welcome back to the show, John. Thank you. So what other things can employers do that can help improve financial education and literacy in the workplace? Well, let's just take some major topics and any of these that you want me to delve into, I'd be happy to. Um, So one of the things that's going to happen um, as we address this crisis, whether this is uh, for people who are in work or out of work, uh, the, the whole tax system is going to be used um, to a significant level. Uh, the, the earned income tax credit is the, the largest cash-based anti-poverty program in the United States. And for any employer who has very low-income employees, helping employees understand what to do there is incredibly important. For higher-income employees, just making sure that uh, everybody is is getting some advice on how to handle the tax code, I think, is is going to be essential. Uh, a, a second area 
has to do with uh, building and maintaining good credit. Uh, there, this is really unfortunate, but there are going to be a lot of people who lose their good credit scores over this period of time. And uh, for employers to actually help their employees um, just learn more about what a credit score is to start with, but then also to help the employees take a step uh, toward improving their credit scores once this mess um, is either partway over or all the way over is going to be incredibly important as well. Let's get into that in some detail. So say somebody's getting paid less or laid off. As a result of that, they just do not have the money to pay their bills, and they're going to start getting latenesses and non-payments on their credit report. What can they do to keep their credit score up? Well, again, we, we need to segment the market. And uh, for, for some people, they're going to, they don't even have a credit card yet, but they're still causing themselves um, trouble. Uh, and uh, creating difficulties in ever buying a home. Uh, so young people in particular are having that issue. The right step for them is at some point along the line here is to actually get a credit card. That may sound uh, counterintuitive, but if, if either an employer or a parent can really help a young person uh, get on an automatic payment plan with that credit card so that the, the money is always coming out of an account somewhere, that's a way for the young person to improve credit. For someone uh, older, it, it probably um, it is the case that there are so many different categories of how somebody would improve their credit that I don't want to get into a lot of detail, but you can imagine that it's different for somebody who's a homeowner as compared to a renter. It's different for somebody who has high income as compared to low income. But in, in every one of those cases, there's somebody who can help, and the credit score is one of the parts of the financial world, as you know, Jordan, that people know less about than almost uh, any other part of the financial system. So yeah. do some training there is just essential. How about a student loan interest? I mean, so many people are burdened with student loans. Some employers are starting to allow people to pay off their student loans in various ways. What can employers do to help people deal with this huge burden of student loans? Well, you know, I'm um, really happy um, to tell you that I know some companies that are, are actually playing major roles in, in helping people uh, pay off their, their student debt. There's uh, one investment um, bank in Chicago, uh, Prairie Capital Advisors, that I know, which it's part of their uh, employee benefit package is to, to help people pay off those debts. I think that's just an incredibly creative approach and something that more companies uh, ought to look at. Another area is healthcare. Uh, we've had a lot of changes in the whole healthcare insurance uh, industry, and most people get their employee their healthcare through their employers. But that's been changing. Premiums have been going up. They're putting more of the burden, uh, deductibles, and so on on employees. How should employees handle the the whole healthcare situation better? Well, you know, you need a crystal ball. Uh, for what's going to happen in the November election, but I, mean, I think especially with healthcare being at the very, very, very fulcrum point of the, the COVID-19 crisis, um, that we're going to see that being a, a major, major issue uh, as the, the candidates go into November. Um, if things break toward the Republicans, it's not clear to me what, what they're going to do. The Democrats seem to have... Um, stepped back um, from the, the, the one-payer uh, system. 
I don't know exactly what, let's assume Biden's the nominee. I'm not sure what his plan is, is really going to look like. It's probably a continuation of Obamacare. So depending on which of the, the two candidates uh, wins, I think employers are going to be recommending one thing over another. Um, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this next point, but during the last crisis, very few people were aware of this, but at very large employers, like at the big auto companies, there were negotiations that helped save those companies and actually made a lot of money for the employees as they negotiated over um, Cadillac plans and gave up some of the, the rights they had in exchange for, for shares. So th there's, there's so much in this area that we could spend the whole hour just talking about this. But how can employees say they have a choice of a, an HMO or a PPO? Uh, you know, there's many different plans. How can they figure out what's best in their own situation if an employer offers them different choices? Well, again, you, you need a crystal ball. Do you want to give me an assumption of how many people are going to die over the next few weeks? Um, <laughs> at least 100,000 in America, at least 100,000. Yeah. Well, and, and then there are going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 20 um, times that many, at least, who will, will get sick. Right. So, you know, this is not just something that people need to be thinking about long term, but if, if people are not in health care plans right now and they have the ability to do so, um, you know, I, I've heard that the uh, Obama uh, care lines are still open in a number of, of states. And for anybody who doesn't have health care, I would say that's probably the single best investment they could make. Yeah, I, I heard that the health insurers were going to be raising premiums some 40 or 50 percent because obviously they were not counting on this level of healthcare expense. No. It's going to be a huge burden on them. So you think there'll be a, a lot of premium increases going through that employers will pass on to the employees to some extent? This is not something I specialize in, but I would um, certainly guess that that would be the case. I mean, we've been seeing it even before this crisis. So yes. to think that it wouldn't continue, um, I, I think probably would not be the right assumption. Yeah. Okay, very good. Um, all right, so we talked about taxes, we talked about credit, talked about health care. Uh, another thing that employers tend to offer is life insurance, group life insurance, um, and, and you can often get even more than the minimum. Is that often a good idea for employees to take them up on that? Well, I think it all depends on, on what type of um, insurance. I, I don't believe that whole life is a good investment for hardly anyone. Um, but if, if somebody wants to buy term and life, life insurance through their um, employer, I think that that can make a lot of sense. And often it's subsidized to some degree. And, and I know that my wife really likes me to have some life insurance. It's probably not the best in investment that uh, we've ever made. I mean, the computer tells me that I'm supposed to live to 103. No. Um, so I mean, that's probably not a good investment, even on a term basis right now, especially given that I'm completely isolated right now. But yeah. for many other people, I think it, it does make sense. And, you know, there are some other areas that I'd love to cover that sure. also can be of real value to employers. Do you mind if I mention one? Go ahead. Mm -hmm. So you, you know that I have a special interest in, in low-income employees. Right. It, it turns out that, um, that vehicles end up being just an incredibly big part of whether or not people keep their jobs or not. Mm -hmm. um, 
this, this is true in, in many different areas of the world. You find where there are gambling institutions, though, that it's even a bigger issue. People don't maintain their tires as well uh, when there are a lot of, of gambling institutions around. Of course, this is not everybody, but all it takes is a certain percentage of people who don't maintain their cars, have cars break down, they've already used up as many vacation days or leave days as they have, and they get fired simply because their vehicle uh, doesn't work. And I think that it makes a lot of sense for employers to focus on that particular issue and just ask, you know, what can we do to help your car stay on the road? Um, again, this is something that has a return on investment uh, where if you want to keep your good employees, many times have, have, helping them have a good vehicle is a step in that direction. So what do they do? Do they loan the money or do they pay for repairs of the car? What does an employer who cares about this do? All of those things, they can uh, have a, a special fund established where all the employees come together and um, make sure that they're um, able to help whoever has a problem during a given month. That's kind of a, a microfinance approach um, to helping cars stay on the road. But given that almost everybody is going to have a car problem at some point, to, to have almost... a an insurance plan inside the company. The, the employer doesn't have to put a lot of money into that just to, to make sure that something is there to help people establish what is, in essence, a rainy day fund. And I, you know, I'm, I know that you've um, talked about that and had many people on your show bring that up, but people don't have rainy day funds. And it, if the two areas where people get, and I'm gonna use the word killed, that's a little bit too strong a statement, uh, for the not maintaining your car side of things. But if there are two issues, one is, is a health problem and the other is that your car breaks down, that's where people uh, really lose it in regard to their, their financial wellness. Do you think a lot of employers recognize that? No, and it's a, it's a huge issue, and they, they're not aware of it to any great degree at all. You know, I, I said earlier in the show that I'd give you a statistic about what it costs to, to train uh, a, yes. a worker that you uh, don't want to lose. These figures are, are, are a little old. I'll tell you what the figure was and then speculate on how much it's, it's risen. But for McDonald's, it's five, it was $5,000 uh, about 10 years ago to train a new employee. And so that figure has probably gone up by 3% a year. And uh, you know, so you're looking somewhere $6,000 to even train a worker at McDonald's. And so when you look at the cost of hiring somebody that you didn't want to lose and then training, uh, I'm sorry, hiring someone to replace the person that you didn't want to lose and then training that new person as compared to just putting a little bit of money in to help get a, a collective insurance plan for people to take care of their cars, it's money well spent. Indeed. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is John Hoffmeyer former chair of the board and now on the member of the board of the Personal Finance Employee Education Foundation. You can find out more at his website, pfeef.org. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? 
practice paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is John Hoffmeyer of the Personal Finance Employee Education Foundation. You can hear more about him and what they do at pfeef.org. Welcome back to the show, John. Thank you again. One other uh, employee benefit people have to choose of is disability insurance. There's short-term disability and long-term disability. Often they can buy additional coverage. Is that often a good thing for employees to do? If they can afford it, it's one of the components of a a total plan that just makes absolute sense. That long-term insurance, though, is so expensive. You can imagine what it costs if you need to have somebody take care of you 24 hours a day. Um, and that cost is prohibitive for almost everybody. So making a decision about what you can afford, I, I think, is, uh, is is really important. But do you get a better rate if you get it through your employer than if you went out into the market and got a long-term care policy individual one? I, I'm sure you would, but I don't know the figures there. Yeah. Uh, another place that offers financial wellness training for employees are called EAPs, Employee Assistance Plans. Just talk a little bit about those and what role do they play in delivering financial wellness education to workers? I think you need to separate um, the the good from the bad there. And I'm not saying that EAP programs are ever bad overall, but given how many different issues an EAP um, program might be dealing with, everything from uh, divorce to healthcare problems to legal matters. Uh, if you have an EAP that is not well aware of, of what really needs to happen around financial wellness, you're, you might be um, giving short shift to, uh, to your employees with the wrong EAP program. Uh, my personal belief um, is that anytime someone buys an EAP program, they really ought to look seriously about what the components of that EAP program um, has around financial wellness. And if, if the attributes of that plan are not good enough, then an employer should not go with that EAP. Yeah. You have a way of kind of grading employers and how they're offering personal finance training. There's something called the personal finance well-being scale. Explain a little bit about how that works. Well, first of all, we, we believe in measurement. And, and if you just look at, at how things work throughout the world, uh, companies are measured on their performance, baseball players have statistics, it matters 
that that things are measured and and people will often manage better if they know that they're going to be measured so what what we have provided and and this really has been the um, almost the uh, the golden standard of measurement in the uh, financial wellness world is our personal financial wellness scale and score. Uh, it's based on uh, eight questions. Uh, people answer these questions along a 10-point scale. It, it's interesting to note that one of the questions was, was borrowed by President Obama's people when they came up uh, with their own sense of, of what a survey that could be used more broadly outside of employers. Uh, that question has to do, uh, my guess is that many of your listeners have heard this question, you know, can you come up with some number of dollars within a certain period of time if you have an emergency? That's our question. And it, it's one of, uh, again, the eight questions that we ask at the beginning and any, sometimes in the middle of a program that's meant to intervene and help people become uh, more financially well. And then certainly we always want to go back and ask these same questions again once a program is over to see what kind of progress has been made uh, on the employee's part. Now, uh, some people say that the lack of financial education or it's not being evenly across the employee base is contributing to inequality. And everybody's complaining about the top 1% having so much in assets and everybody else kind of being left behind. What role can personal financial wellness training play in, brought in, in creating less inequality in the workplace? Well, I, I think it can play a role in a number of different ways. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's interesting to note um, just what a, uh, a, a crisis we, we have even without um, the, the COVID-19 situation. Um, so if if you went back um, to the 1960s through 1980s, we had savings rates of uh, 11 to 13 percent. Fortunately, it's gone back up since the Great Recession. We're at about 7.9 right now. Uh, in the 2005 to 2007 stage, we were in the mid threes. Um, so on the one hand, we're, we're doing okay. But then when you start breaking down uh, how many people are, are living hand-to-mouth, it's probably two-thirds of Americans now uh, that have less than $1,000. And uh, if you then uh, start looking at uh, you know, what's going on with even fairly uh, high income, well, in fact, these people really are high income. At $150,000 um, per household, we still have a, a quarter of people who are uh, without any emergency um, savings. So I, mean, I, I think it's important that we think about those who are least fortunate, but these problems exist at, at every single um, income level up to points you know, probably around a couple hundred thousand. Um, and below that, we've got people who are, are suffering already and are really gonna suffer as the, as the COVID-19 problems um, kick in. I've heard there's a lot of people who are offered matches on their 401ks, but don't take the employer up on it because they just don't feel they can afford to give up any money to be matched. Is there something can be done about that to get higher levels of uh, percentage of people accepting the match offered by employers? Well, I, I think 
um, one thing that can be done, and, and this is not very easy to do in the climate that we're going to be looking at, but if employers simply um, make the contribution without requiring a match, uh, that um, often is just a, a fabulous thing to do. And, and it takes into account the behavioral economics of uh, sort of taking options away from people and nudging them towards something that's good for them. Um, so, you know, that's one thing that can be done. We have about two minutes left. Why don't you kind of sum up the situation as you see it now? Are you hopeful that there's going to be more financial education and employees are going to do better, or are you you're not hopeful? Well, again, I, I think we need to look at stages of, of what's going to happen over these next few years. Um, employers are going to cut all kinds of training programs over the short term. I think that's completely understandable on the one hand. Uh, I, I think it can be short-sighted, especially for the companies that can continue to afford something around these types of issues. Um, when the time comes that training is part of corporate budgets, there's no doubt that the return on investments of, uh, of good financial wellness um, programs make it almost a requirement that, that employers move in that direction. Um, and I'm just going back to the inequality issue that we were talking about a minute ago, I would argue that if employers don't take this seriously, that our society uh, really has an opportunity to break down. Um, and I'm not going to try to predict exactly that how that will happen, but I, I do believe that if we don't start doing more through the workplace um, to train people uh, to save, in effect, um, that that society could face really large problems. Yeah. Well, we've covered a lot of different ground. There's many different uh, benefits being offered by employers to employees. They're not all taking them up on it, but hopefully by getting employers to understand this and employees to take full advantage of it, we can have a more educated uh, workforce financially. So thanks very much. My guest this hour has been John Hoffmeyer. He's the former chair and still on the board of the Personal Finance Employee Education Foundation. He's also a professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and currently at a school in the University of Oxford uh, in England. Uh, you can find out more at his website of the organization, pfeef.org. Thanks so much for being a great guest on The Money Answer Show, John. Thank you, Jordan. I've enjoyed it. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.